Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room to listen to all of our podcast episodes without any ads. You get access to our video episodes, our bonus episodes, and even more exclusive content, including merchandise. It only starts at $5 a month, so head on over to our Patreon. Again, it's patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom. And while you're at it, you know what would be such a help is if you could rate and review the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And make sure that you follow us and share out our podcast to all of your friends. It truly does help. And I want to thank you all. It means so much that you're listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I hope that you enjoy this episode. The challenge for me in writing those poems is to, to and I, I don't think it's entirely possible, but to try to think as non-humanly as possible <laughs> while writing about an animal or a plant and therefore thinking about a kind of language beyond human language, um, which is what I've been doing in some in some poems that I've been working on recently, uh, thinking about how do I write speech of this particular plant, um, thinking about, you know, you know, uh, you'll you'll most commonly see speech in, you know, um, speech marks or italics. So I'm thinking of different ways to frame that. Um, but certainly, like, certainly the ethics of plant and animal life, and and also of, uh, I mean, grinder grinder is a favourite. I've been writing about grinder for ever ever since grinder appeared, and thinking certainly a lot about the ethics of grinder. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I am so excited to be talking about Broadview Press. You might be asking, what is Broadview Press, Andrew? Broadview is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish in the humanities, mainly English studies, writing, philosophy, and history, just to name a few genres. And recently, I had on Dr. Jason Holt, who wrote all about the philosophy of sport. And what better summer episode than to talk about what happens when a philosopher dissects the beautiful aesthetics of sporting culture. In the spring, I had on Drs. Kyle Stedman and Tanya Rodriguez to talk about what is sound writing, how to make audio projects in the college classroom, how to even have your students create podcasts. And then in the winter, I had on Dr. Dr. Jeffrey Weinstock. He talked about analyzing pop culture. Yes, I even sneak in some Real Housewives questions and how to teach composition and make it fun. He uses this whole metaphor about being a mad scientist in this gothic lab. And in the fall, I had on Dr. Ann Stevens and she talked about literary theory and criticism. And yes, the university season is upon us. So what better way to talk about 
the college classroom then to actually understand what is literary theory. That's a wonderful episode for all of you out there who teach literary studies. I love Broadview Press. Make sure you use their exclusive code. It's Ivory Tower on broadviewpress.com. You get 20% off all, all Broadview Press publications. Okay, until the next Broadview Press interview. And now back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby. And I'm really excited because before I hit record, I was thinking to myself in my internal monologue shower from vacation that my guest has heard me talk a lot about uh, my Atlantic City trip with the parents and the beach and still feeling the sun on my skin. And I was thinking, wait, this has to be the furthest amount I've zoomed in distance wise. And it definitely is because my guest here is actually from Queensland, Australia, which is incredible with technology. I am joined with the award-winning poet, Stuart Barnes, who was born in Tasmania, educated at Monash University, Victoria, lives in Queensland. His second book, which we're gonna jump right into, is called Like to the Lark. It is a poetry collection. It was published by Upswell Publishing in 2023, hot off the presses. And his first book, and the one that I really got to know him by, is called Glass Houses from 2016. It won the 2015 Arts Queensland Thomas Shapcott Prize, was commended for the 2016 FAW and Elder Award, and shortlisted for the 2017 ASAL Mary Gilmore Award. So welcome to the ITBR, Stuart Barnes. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Good, good. I'm so glad you're joining me here. I love when a poet is in the presence of, you know, the ITBR's ether. It's always fun to get into a poet's mind. So I think starting Thank with you. that, you know, before we even go to like to the lark, like take us back to maybe even when you were born in Tasmania. Um, I don't know when it starts for you, if it's at an early age, if it's your college education, like what did poetry, what was it about poetry? How does this even enter your life? Mm, okay. Um, it, it did enter my life at an earlier age. I, um, I used to go to church with my family and uh, an Australian poet called uh, Gwen Harwood, who's no longer with us, um, was a member of a congregation and uh, she was, uh, uh, she published several collections at the time and, you know, one day she said to me in the way that adults do, you know, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I, I, I really want to be a writer. And she said, you're not going to be a writer, you're going to be a poet. <laughs> and and I, I had no idea what, what that was. Um, and there was a little op shop um, attached to the church. And after every Sunday morning mass, she'd take me down into the op shop and put a little book of poetry uh, into my pocket and send me home and then uh, send me home with it and asked me to read it and then we'd talk about it the following week so that was um 
I'd always loved language and reading and my parents got me reading at a really early age but it was um I think when was the first adult who asked me what I wanted to do and and then I was sort of able to join the dots between a love of reading and language and sort of the written the written word and kind of honed that and and then I became really curious about what poetry was and uh what poetry is and what poetry can be so that went on for quite a while her um yeah while while we um until we left the church um yeah so that was the beginning that was when it all started around the age of nine uh the reading of and the writing of also yeah nine is a very early age i feel for poetry just because well i guess as children we have nursery rhymes their poems uh we have yes. mother um mother goose mother dr goose. seuss um yes. <laughs> I'm rhyme. rhyming right now. Uh, <laughs> let's think of another rhyme there. But were you also, though, absorbing, I'm assuming, children's stories, short stories, novels? Like, were you just such a wide reader? I, I was. Um, I had really large volumes of uh, fairy tales and different tellings of those different sort of uh, interpretations of fairy tales. Um, yes, collections of short stories and and novels as well. Uh, I remember over like a like a summer holiday in, I think grade six. So when I was about eleven or twelve, I I just I sat down and wrote a novella. Um, or I didn't know it was a novella at the time, but I just had this urge urge to write. And I, I had actually been writing from about the age of five, just kind of making my own little little books like stapling pieces of paper together and and writing so um yeah so so the desire to kind of put something down on paper was there from a really early age and you know it was it was a lot of fun um yeah well and when you went to college was that you still in the forefront of your mind had creative writer printed on the forehead like was that the goal in college is that what you majored in was writing it, it was so I, I majored in uh, I did a double major in literature and philosophy at, at Monash University and I also studied a lot of uh, literature subjects at high school um, and had really wonderful teachers uh, so we we had um, not only um, sort of the historic components of you know literature and learning about literature's history but also creative components as well um and you know i i was sort of a straight a english student at 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 high school and that was you know um a couple of teachers really took me under their wing and and said you know like there's you know we we see something in your writing like you know keep doing it and um you know, it, it was the one subject, especially at high school, that I loved, uh, or at and at, at, at university actually as well, that I loved more than anything else. So when I went to uni, um, it was a no-brainer to study literature, uh, and I was also really interested in philosophy, which I'd studied at high school, and they seemed to be a really great uh, pairing. So, um, yes. So and, and you know, in in the meantime, I just kept kept writing, um, sort of you know, on the side. 
um yeah a specific philosophy Stuart like was there one that a philosophical school that you just really latched onto and did it influence philosophy um your writing process like do they work hand in hand yes actually um there were themes of consciousness and sentience and i i realize gosh it's only actually now that you've asked me that i've made this connection um it's interesting how that happens um but there are a lot of poems in like to the lark that um i i'm i'm sort of imagining myself uh or or the speaker of the poems is a plant or an animal um so uh I studied several philosophy subjects around that that theme, and I'm now seeing that that that's coming out in a lot of my poetry, and more so in poems that I've written since "Like to the Lark" has come out. Um, I, I I really love thinking about how animals and plants and other beings respond to the earth and to human. And to what humans have done and continue to do to the earth. Well, and in like to the lark, I feel that you're also technology seems to be really um it, it's hinted, not even hinted, but it is a, a constantly um repeated theme of isolation, like feeling of the speaker's yes. identity being questioned with a technolo technological app like say grinder or even what it means to um connect with people and like is technology really going to bring us there and it does there's a lot of ethics it seems involved in your poetry and i yes. was really enjoying that because it's not that doesn't always happen like sometimes the speaker becomes more um the psychology of the speaker is what a poet is more invested in instead of say like you're saying an animal plant life technology something that we don't always think of having an essence and identity as yes. humanistic hi this is andrew and i'm interrupting what i know is an exciting itbr episode to talk to you about one of our sponsors, the Gay and Lesbian Review. Discover new things about gay and lesbian literature, history, and culture with a subscription to the Gay and Lesbian Review, a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and our popular art memo column. Each issue of the Gay and Lesbian Review brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme, and it brings together the leading minds on the topic. You won't find a lot about the latest dating fads or fashion trends, but you will definitely find articles about online dating, like using Grindr as a social phenomenon, or even the gay influence on 20th century fashion. Did you know that I've actually interviewed three gay and lesbian review contributors? Make sure you listen to my Ignacio Darnod Breaking the Gay Code in Art episode, where Ignacio explains 
that key artistic figures like Michelangelo, Donatello, Thomas Eakins, J.C. Leyendecker, and Thomas Finlan all have really explicit homoerotic artwork. And then head on over to the next episode where I talk with Dr. Vernon Rosario about LGBTQ psychiatry and how homosexuality got depathologized. And our most recent episode was with the Gay and Lesbian Review's literary editor, Martha E. Stone, and she talks about what LGBTQ literature you should be reading this summer and also how to become a contributing writer and a reviewer for the Gay and Lesbian Review. To subscribe, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR to receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. And as an added bonus, you also receive online access to all of the Gay and Lesbian Review's archived issues. All of them. Okay, enjoy your reading, everyone. Yes, yes. Um, and I, do, I, I um, the challenge for me in writing those poems is to, to and I, I don't think it's entirely possible, but to try to think as non-humanly as possible <laughs> while writing about an animal or a plant and therefore thinking about a kind of language beyond human language, um, which is what I've been doing in some in some poems that I've been working on recently, uh, thinking about how do I write speech of this particular plant, um, thinking about, you know, you know, uh, you'll, you'll most commonly see speech in, you know, um, speech marks or italics. So I'm thinking of different ways to frame that. Um, but certainly, like, certainly the ethics of plant and animal life and, and also of, uh, I mean, Grinder, Grinder is a favourite. I've been writing about Grinder for ever, ever since Grinder appeared, and thinking certainly a lot about the ethics of Grinder. Uh, yes, and and as you can probably tell from reading reading the poems about Grinder, it's it's not a very favourable opinion. Um, yeah. Well, but, um, do you find that it's because it does the main difference I feel from glass houses to like to the lark is more of this memoir style that, and again, I know um, I want you to speak to it, but you do have this very interesting method in like to the lark in your poetry where your own essence starts to enter, even though I wouldn't necessarily say it has an autobiographical sense, because again, like Stewart isn't really entering the scene um, very vividly. Like, you know, some poems, some poets are confessional poets, right? Like Sylvia Plath, Anne Sexton, um, yes. Adriana Rich, even we could say Allen Ginsberg. Um, and definitely Whitman, where you really confuse the boundaries. And it seems like this yes. is their autobiography of a poem of a poem. Yes. But you are really starting to unravel the speaker's 
um, questioning of, say, relationships. It seems more so in Light to the Lark, there's much more of an intimacy where glass houses, maybe even with the word glass house, there's more of this distance, like there's more spatial distance. Is that something you had really been cognitively processing when you were doing your new collection was that distancing? It No, it wasn't a conscious thing at all, but I have since realized that I'm a lot more comfortable writing about uh, elements of my life. And I, I absolutely recognize what, what you're saying about those differences between glass houses and like to the lark, there were certain things that I wasn't ready to. I had written about certain things, certain topics before uh, glass houses was published, but I wasn't ready for those poems to be published. And I had reached a place through, really through a lot of uh, walking and writing and therapy uh, where I was ready to think more deeply about and uh, write harder about those topics and um, allow those poems to be um published um and I'm, I'm i'm pleased that i did uh there are, i mean there are some poems in this uh in like to the lark that i would say are almost entirely confessional um but there are certainly others that aren't um there aren't any like there aren't any that are there's no embellishment with things that are memoiristic um but Yes, I certainly feel a lot more, well, I guess a lot more confident in myself and a lot more comfortable, therefore, and, and what, what's followed on from that is feeling more comfortable writing about those topics. As far as initial publication of some of those poems in journals, I was very nervous about, very anxious about some of those poems uh, being read uh, by other people, but that's something that you have to that I think you, uh, well, no, I'll, I'll speak only for myself. That's something that I've had to learn to um, to get used to. Um, yeah. Well, and it means a lot that you're opening up about, say, therapy and just like processing aspects of your identity. Um, you know, is it a was it about sexuality for you? Was it about how much you're going to share on the page. Like, it seems that it's more how much of yourself you were going to put into your writing that there was, it was no longer just private and a private exploration of yourself. This was something that now almost like on social media, that there's aspects that you now put publicly out there. And yes. once it's out there, you know, you have to process, okay, well, what does this mean about crafting my identity? Like I, you know, what do I not want to show? Like what's only for myself? 
That's right. Absolutely. Look, a, a very, uh, it, it took me a very long time. And this had a lot to do with growing up in a really homophobic place where it was, you know, it was, uh, I grew, so I grew up in Tasmania and I left at 18 and moved to, um, you know, just across a body of water to Victoria. But it, it, it was after, so it was in 97 when it, um, when de- when homosexual homosexuality was decriminalized in Tasmania, where I grew up, it was a deeply homophobic place, and I carried that with me for a very long time. And although I've been out as gay um, since the age of seventeen, um, for a long time, I didn't want to be known as a gay writer. Um, I, I wanted to only be identified by my name, and that's I carried this shame still. I realized, I realized until several years ago, I carried shame of being gay. And I, you know, when I when I first became aware, you know, when I first became really conscious of that and started talking about that with my psychologist, and and you know, writing about that in my journal, um, it was. It was a really wonderful moment to be able to start breaking that down and to stop, you know, to to have that moment of to really stop caring uh, so much about what what people think and and to um, to dissolve that shame. Yeah, well, yeah, it's beautifully said, uh, Stuart, and you know, thank I you. thank you for your openness and your poetry and. Again, like poetry or being a writer, I find this as even like in my academic writing, um, you see your evolution of aspects of your self-identity, just like the phases that you go through. And it's not that one piece of writing isn't um, above the other. It's just, it's a different part of when you were crafting and I love how you can see that lineage um and you it seems so clearly have analyzed or reflected on it I'll say um but like one poem that I just am deeply infatuated with is probably because of my 19th century thirst is Moby Dick or the whale just because I was really excited to see that Moby Dick was alluded and has a whole poem dedicated to him. But, um, you know, I was going to say, are you okay reading this poem aloud to the audience here? Is that yes. something yes. you're, instead of I would read it, but I think it's so nice when we hear it from the poet's own voice. Sure. Yes. I'd love to. Uh, yeah, thank you for asking me. Um, I'll just, I'll just find it here in the book. Oh, here we are. Okay, great. Okay, so the poem is a is a it's a pentina, and the end words are are a phrase from Moby Dick. Uh, Moby Dick or the whale. I regard this as queer. Queer eye, ass. Regard this, this queer regard. I ass, ass, his. I queer regard, regard as queer, this I. I regard his ass queer. 
Oh, it's so wonderful, Stuart. And so the first stanza, I regard this as queer. So that's pulled from Moby Dick, from, from the novel. Yes. Okay. Yes. I see. Well, wait, and say that again as a poetic technique. What is it called? This form. Uh, so the the form is a pentina. Uh, so it's it's sort of a an adjustment of the sestina. Uh, so it has uh, the the five main stanzas, um, and then the uh, whereas in a sestina the last stanza is three lines, in a pentina it's two lines. Mm. Um, and it, it it has to contain uh, the the five end words, which in this poem are um, I just read it. I can't remember them. <laughs> Sorry, I regard this as queer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that you um, like adding in. So as becomes as. This is, um, you know, I, so there's so much, I mean, I just read this. It's so cruising, so charged, almost is the speaker, you know, how is he processing desire or Mm. even what is a queer desire and thinking Mm. of how that's um, evoked in Moby Dick. And again, a novel that revolves around men on board a ship. And um, such homoerotically charged. And it comes, I have to say, it comes right before a poem called In the Navy. So I already had like the YMCA (laughs) song stuck in my head. Hi everyone, this is Andrew, and I am interrupting what I know is such an exciting Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema, and it's hosted by Christian Garcia. Christian is joined with guest co-hosts to talk about classic cinema films that we know and love, and he analyzes them through a queer lens. So, He's talked about The Sound of Music, Alfred Hitchcock, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, and recently, Hello, Dolly. I actually was on his first ever episode to talk about my love of The Sound of Music and playing Captain Von Trapp in my high school musical. Then I was joined with Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime in Academia, and our friend Travis Roundtree to talk about Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Mary just had Christian on True Crime and Academia to talk about female poisoners, including the evil queen from Snow White and actual real life female poisoners. So Christian's podcast is the best. You must add it to your listen list. After you listen to this episode, make sure you head over to That Old Gay Classic Cinema on Apple and Spotify. Make sure you follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And he's also on TikTok. Don't forget TikTok. Okay. I can't wait for you all to listen to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And now back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Hey, Ivory Tower Boiler Room listeners and true crime friends. You've heard me gush over this incredible woman and her beautiful products. I'm talking about Mandy Made It. 
Mandy makes customized and original crochet and pre-cut goods. They are the perfect, unique, one-of-a-kind gift for literally anyone in your life. And she makes incredible home decor. I still have my pumpkins that I put out every fall. I just love them. Check her out on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E Made It or search Mandy Made It on Facebook. To order, just slide into her DMs. And if you mention the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, you will receive a free personalized gift with your first order. So go on Instagram and look up at Mandy Made It and Mandy is spelled M-A-N-D-E-E. Again, her handle is at Mandy Made It, Mandy spelled M-A-N-D-E-E, and order today. But like, who is, I have to ask, so in your poem in the Navy, um, it says, I am Stuart Addison, Stephen Bebbington, Jay Casey, Brett Dwyer, Ewan McDonald. Who are these men? Yes, so um, the poem, so they, they're five men who uh, they took their own lives. So they were uh, working um, in naval bases in Western Australia, so uh, over on the West Coast of Australia. Um, and there were a, a number of stories coming out about um, methamphetamine use in the Navy and um uh bullying and violence and uh and men taking their own lives and these were five men um i think three of whom were close friends um and they'd all experienced um horrific um bullying and violence at the hands of um of uh, other people in the navy and um had uh, turned to uh, substance use and abuse um, as a, as a way of um, yeah as a way of coping. So it's it's very I like um, I like to transform. You know, you, you read the title in the Navy, and as you said, you think about the Village People song, but rapidly it shifts into something. Uh, very different. So the poem is dedicated to the memories of of those five men, and there are many other men uh, and women who've taken their own lives uh, in the Australian Navy because of this. And it was something that uh, in the media was really, uh, you know, people people really didn't want to talk about it. Um, and for me, um, you know, I, I followed this these stories closely and um, wanted to sort of. I guess add another voice to that and um and remember those remember the remember the lives of those men in this poem. Yeah. Well, and remembrance seems to be a very um palpable theme, Stuart, in your like to the lark that like we've seen just within the Navy and then Moby Dick or the Whale. There's tension between pleasure and between um, 
bully well there's the pleasure of queerness in a way but there's also not with doesn't have to be with queer identity but um that space is right the boating culture so to speak or this like you know navy boating experience that we is so idealized in moby dick in reality there also can be the other side there can be that anxiety there's the um a self torture of like you said how are you going to cope with feelings of angst or mental health that's going on and was that kind of tension something you would just really needed to explore like you even do this with themes around aids um remembrance but also next to the decadent aspect of hookup culture with grinder and the beauty that can happen with the body like that the beauty yes. of the body there's pleasure and then there's also pain that happened with aids so yeah it's so fascinating Stuart. thanks andrew uh, look remembrance has always been really important to me and and to, I, I mean writing is um you know one of the one of the um the best ways of of remembering and acknowledging and and continuing the stories of people who have have died um of uh of plant and animal species that are vulnerable or near extinction or are extinct and i love writing about uh those voices um as well um but it's always been especially uh you know um hiv aids uh having you know there's there's a couple of poems in this book that are uh, about a former partner um who died of aids related illnesses um and it was very important to uh to write um about um, a couple of moments of our time together um and also uh you know the yeah the book is one of the dedicatees of the book is is that person and um for me it's always been i think part of this is growing up on music uh you know i love the music of the cure which explores you know like extremes like joy and sorrow and mm. a song like uh the cures in between days draws together like such upbeat uh music and pairs it with despairing lyrics and um i know that that that's that's sort of uh there's that insistent pulse of influence of that on my poetry um i've always been drawn to kind of weaving those i guess sort of coming back to specific poems those um those things of pleasure and pain together um you, you know i mean um for a long time in the gay community my experiences were of um you know there were experiences of partying and that sort of being the extent of the gay community, but mm-hmm. and, and and 
and the more um the psychological so, so there was what am i trying to say there was an emphasis on the physical mm-hmm. uh but but not the psychological and i'm trying to sort of rebalance that in some of these poems um you know we're we're whole beings we're uh we're not one or the other um and i think it's i think it's important to have balance um of well i'm I'm not saying we have to have pain but i think that there's certainly a balance of pleasure and pain um everyone experiences pain and everyone experiences pleasure and those it's also um important for me to acknowledge and write about those things coexisting yeah yeah well and i sometimes have thought about um like my own experiences with especially gay intimacy that some of the most philosophical conversations that I've had, while not, you know, in, in this space, while not on the podcast, um, <laughs> is why is it that after a an intense, pleasurable, sexual, climatic experience, a philosophical conversation is then had. Like, does the sex um, open up the intellectual conversation? And is it a necessity? Like, does that physical experience have Mm -hmm. to happen for then the conversation to occur? Or could the conversation occur before? Like, what is the foreplay? Is it the sex or is it the conversation? And yes, yes. I completely relate to this <laughs> because I've had um, most of the encounter, most of the sexual experiences I've had um, that are deeply pleasurable will lead to those philosophical conversations. And I've often thought too, you know, would would this conversation be happening if that if that sexual experience hadn't happened? Um, yeah, and I. I I think that's why I, I explore Grinder and other tech, other technologies in my work as well, because I, I remember years ago going out to gay pubs, but pubs especially where, you know, it was brighter and the music wasn't as loud as the music in a club. So you could actually have a, a proper conversation with someone and, you know, you you know, people were fully clothed or half clothed, but, you know, you there were no... Um, you know, photos of of genitals being sent through on on Grinder, and uh, you know there was there was some mystery, and I you know so I found many years ago that those um, those conversations preceded uh, sex and and physical intimacy, uh, whereas I find I find now that on the, on the whole, oh sorry, mostly. Um, there's been that flip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I, I wonder if, again, and I always think, okay, so 
this is probably happening with the straight community as well, right? I mean, unless, yeah. like, is it a, so I think easily we could say this is a gendered phenomenon. Like, is this a male, is it a male condition for men to not express all aspects and especially be emotionally or intellectually vulnerable that like the sex opens up their vulnerability i mean like could be one analysis and testing that hypothesis but another is are people just erotic conversation is always um or the erotic possibility is part of a lot of spaces like you said in a bar like i mean i'm sure mm. that's in the back of um anyone who's physically attracted to someone else or thinks there might be a connection mm. like might be really watching how they talk or what they say like there's a type of wooing or like making sure that you're yes. coming off in a certain way like crafting our yeah feel that crafting your personality is part of so many spaces and it is like an yeah and eroticism is part of that recipe but also you know are you trying to impress an employer or are you trying to impress a friend like do you want to be in a certain social um class like yes. do you feel like an imposter somewhere in your convert in the way that you're presenting yourself now th that's why the identity is identity is fascinating and how we converse yep. it is yes. so but that's why, but I love that you brought up music because there is one poem. I think it's short enough for you to read, but there's one poem I'm trying to get to the exact title, but you like combine all these different music genres. I want to say there's goth is in the title. Sex and drugs and goth rock and synth pop and hip hop and new wave and funk slash soul guzzle. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved recently by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie, or what have you. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog as well as personal essays on its popular Here's My Story section on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot org. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of the homepage. And if you have any questions, email publisher Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. Yes. Yes. So if you would 
delight us all in reading that, Stuart. I just find it such, because you brought up music, it's just such an evocative and the way that it resonates is, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. It has everything yes. in the title. Yes, yes. And that that was the that was the impetus for the poem. Um, yes. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll read it. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, so sex and drugs and goth rock and synth pop and hip hop and new wave and funk slash soul guzzle. Not even it could titillate a stiff eadult.com. We'll be there in a jiffy. Insult Charlie, Lucy, Molly, Roxy and Tina at your own risk until we reach the cliffy tumultuous heroin equals you owe us heroin. Vault them if you can the squiffy, vulturous blockheads. The goths were mocked, but goth is an excessively sniffy subculture. Take Ultravox's midure with a grain of salt. Divvy a salt with a deadly pepper. Got everything? Spliff, E. Culture clubs kissing to be clever. Third single turn to spiffy somersault up the charts. Slave only to Billie Jean. Rave about this guzzle's iffy penultimate stanza. Rockhamptonites mutter, Sup, mate. I'm amped out. Shiv multi-cult. Oh, it's so good, Stuart. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Well, and, you know, as we're nearing the end, which just went by so quickly, um, I knew it would. Um this has been so fascinating and like, I'm just curious with finishing like to the lark and it now being out there newly released and out there, what is something that your audience, something that's been said to you from your readers that might've surprised you or you didn't necessarily see in your poetry, but it resonated with them and you're glad that they then gave you that feedback. Oh gosh. Okay. Wow. Um, I think, I think the main thing would, what would, would be something that you, um, that you brought up earlier, which is, um, uh, talking about autobiographical or personal um, or things from my personal life and threading those into the poems. And I I, I didn't realise that I... It's, it's so... It, it's, it fascinates me that you can work on a poem and, and things... Fit, like a reader will see something in there that you don't. And... I have had a number of people say to me that um, that they appreciate that um, that sort of disclosure or that revealing of of the personal side, and that and and I think you mentioned this earlier as well that you know glass houses was well that you were hinting at that glass houses was a more sort of uh, closed off or sort of there was less of myself in there, but there's more of myself in this book. Um, so, so that's that's I think the thing 
more than anything else that people have 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 said about the book and and that and that's that's actually really lovely it's a really lovely thing to to hear and 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 more than that that's that those things um those themes especially some of the um uh especially some of the themes such as hiv aids or uh sexual assault um that that you know people have reached out and said that you know um that they've been pleased to see some someone writing about those things and that they've res that those those poems have resonated with them um so that that would be it like the the personal in the poems well and yeah. are you i know you said earlier um in the conversation that you had written a novella when you were younger and i'm just always curious when i talk to any writer, but specifically, I would say poets, because it is such a unique craft that those who get into it, um, mm. and even those who are playwriters as well, that do you also still traverse in other genres? Like, are you still writing novels or have plans to go into genres other than poetry. Oh, Andrew, it's thank you. That's a really, it's a wonderful question, and you know what? I've tried to, and I just, I really struggle. I really struggle with forms that are longer than poems. And there are some I've written some long, long poems recently, uh, and over the last couple of years. Um, uh, but I, I've tried to write short stories. I've tried to write reviews. Um, I've started a novel. I did finish a memoir a number of years ago um, uh, and, and a number of um, other short stories also. But the form that I'm drawn back to again and again is poetry. It's, you know, for its, you know, for me, it's 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 unusualness on the page. It's, um, it's, it's, um, it's musicality. Um it's beauty. Um, it's you, you know you, you can go from something like Shakespeare to really experimental poetry, and and that's the thing that draws me back to poetry. You know, like uh, and I know novels. There are novels that are written that aren't just you know um, repetitions of rectangles of text, um, and the same with short stories. And I love blurring of genre that we're seeing more and more of, um, but I. I, I think for me, it's the very radical way that a poem can appear on the page that keeps keeps drawing me back. Um, plus, an honesty with myself that I'm just not very good at writing in other forms. So, um, <laughs> I, I I think it's important to put one's energy where one thinks it's best uh, best put. And um, yeah, so. That's another reason I, I keep coming back to poetry. Look, I, I yeah, I, I I would love to. I I wish I could write in other forms, but um, yeah, it's it's physically painful. <laughs> well, and I would say I think that's why writers get known for specific genres. I mean, I'll yeah. I'll leave it out to the audience. There, you can reach out to my Instagram, Andrew David Rimby, if you know of a writer off the top of your head who can instantly, um, there's like one, Alice Walker is coming to my mind that she's a poet, but also knowing her as a novelist. 
but it's rare. Like it's yeah. rare to find a writer who can say do playwriting, poetry, be a novelist and write a memoir and you know them for all of those genres. But we find our comfort, right? We have our our cozy That's right. corner. That's um, right. That's right. So, you know, thank you so much, Stuart. I um really loved chatting with you. And how can everyone follow you on social media? Like, which social media channels would you like to share out? Thanks, Andrew. Well, I'm on Twitter uh, at Stuart A. Barnes, S-T-U-A-R-T-A. B-A-R-N-E-S. Um, I have a website, stuartobarnes.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook also. Um, it's been a, such a joy talking to you and and meeting you face-to-face for the first time. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for, for having me on the podcast. And of course. For our, for our great conversation. Yes, well, and everyone, please... Um, Book up and get your hands on Like to the Lark. It is uh, what Stuart is holding right now. And it's a beautiful poetry collection. Um, I have a link to it in the episode notes. And everyone just search up Stuart Barnes because I know he already said he's writing new poems. And Mm. um, I know we'll be in the process of releasing a collection again sometime. Yes soon definitely um so thank you so much can't wait to have you back on the show and um everyone to reach out to you and to have just more of a growing audience of like to the lark fans and followers so yeah this was wonderful thanks so much Stuart. thanks so much andrew it was such a pleasure okay and um bye to the listeners out there and yeah happy summer well summer here in america um i don't want to you know forget the australian hopefully australian <laughs> listeners stewart's fans and stewart's friends thanks for joining from australia um happy winter to you okay <laughs> bye everyone <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby, the host and director of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. I am joined with Mary DePippi, our chief contributor and host of True Crime and Academia. Please, if you're not, make sure that you follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room and True Crime and Academia on Instagram and Twitter. And TikTok, too. Remember our TikTok? That's where all the exciting video clips are posted. Make sure that you join our Patreon if you want more Ivory Tower Boiler Room and True Crime and Academia content. All the video interviews are on our Patreon. All of our bonus episodes are on Patreon. And it just means so much for you to join for $5 a month. You unlock all of our bonus episodes. And also, it just helps support the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Thank you so much for giving Mary and I a needed jolt of caffeine for coffee. Thanks for the $5. Head to patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. We cannot wait for you all to listen to our summer season. There are so many exciting episodes. And we're also celebrating three years of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. So. Without further ado, 
Thanks for listening. Make sure you listen to the next episode next week and have a wonderful summer season, everyone. Okay, bye now.